Um, I'm so excited for just the message today, just what uh, I feel like God has laid on my heart. And I I just want to share this with you today. We're going to jump into a new sermon series entitled The Storyteller. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the parables that Jesus told. Now, a parable is simply a story that has a principle that can be applied to your life. There is a truth that's hidden within the story. And the storytelling or the parables were arguably Jesus's favorite teaching method. He was a master storyteller. And within the stories, he would teach us about ourselves and he would teach us about our need for a savior and the path of salvation. And he would teach us about the father God. And if you think about this method, teaching through stories is genius because everyone can connect to a good story. How many of you love a good story? Come on. I love a good story. My wife and I, there's this new, uh, there's this new uh, term that's been around the last 10 years or so, binge watching. How many of you binge watch TV shows? Yeah, it's like this psychological thing where you start watching a TV show. It is so good that it sucks you in and you cannot get away from it. Charity and I have really only binge watched one show. And if you know us really well, you know that that show is going to be Lost. Did I have any fans of Lost? People who watched Lost? Okay, there's like four or five of us. Love that show. I had seen it kind of advertised for years, and we always kind of push it off because, frankly, it looks stupid to me. These people crash on an island, and there's monsters, and I'm like, that's dumb. I'm not going to waste my time on that. And then Charity gets about eight months pregnant, and if you've ever had a pregnant wife, you know that when you're eight months pregnant, there's, nobody's doing anything in the house, right? Everybody's sitting there, especially when it's hot, and so we're in the house, and we watch the first episode of Lost, And it was an instantaneous hook and thorn into my heart. And we became addicts, people. I'm telling you, we would watch an episode before I went to work. I would come home at lunch and watch an episode. And then when I got home in the evening, we watched two, three, seven episodes before we go to bed. I'm not kidding. There were days we'd watch eight or nine hours of Lost. Why? Because those people were master storytellers, and that story sucked me in, and I wanted to consume it because I wanted to know how it ended. And as good as the storytellers were that wrote Lost, let me tell you what, those storytellers had nothing upon Jesus. Jesus was the best storyteller who ever lived because Jesus' stories contained the words of life. Jesus' stories told us how to find life and how to find it abundantly. Charity and I loved watching Lost, but Lost was watched for an entertainment factor. That show didn't change my life. It didn't help my marriage. It didn't help me raise my son. It didn't help me when I was going through suffering. And most importantly, Lost didn't tell me how to get to heaven. But Jesus' stories are the answers for all those issues. Jesus' stories point me to heaven and a life full here on earth. Jesus' stories are the most important stories ever told. And so today we're going to look at perhaps the pinnacle of his stories that he told, and that's the story of the prodigal son. We're going to be in Luke chapter number 15, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I read out of an old school Bible. Some of you read off of your phone, or you can follow along on the screen. But I like reading out of a Bible. I've noticed that the older I get, the more I want to cut technology off in my life. And sometimes it's good just to quiet your soul and you hold something physical in your hands. And the word of God is something that I like holding because even though there's words on this page where this word speaks, God is speaking. We believe that this word is living and it's active. And so when we read these words, it's not just an ancient text, but it's the word of God for you and for me today. 
And so in Luke chapter number 15, starting verse number 11, it's Jesus speaking, and it says this. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a faraway country and there squandered his property in reckless living. And he went and spent everything. A severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to one of the citizens of the country who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to feed from the paws that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us celebrate for this son was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, as I said, this is perhaps one of the most well-known stories that Jesus ever told. This parable is a beautiful masterpiece description of salvation and repentance and restoration and hope. This has been the story that we call the, the prodigal son. However, the central figure of this story really isn't even the son at all. It's actually the father. The father is the key to this story because the father represents our heavenly father in heaven. And so today we're going to journey through this parable. and We're going to see the hope and redemption from the mess can only be found in the arms of a loving father. And here's what we need to understand out of the gate. We have a heavenly father who is overjoyed when we turn to him in repentance. When we get messy and when we get beat down by life and when we are at the end of our rope, that's when we can turn to God and that's when he is so ready to receive us into his loving arms. Now, Jesus starts out this parable with a shocking scene. There was a man and he has two sons. And one day the younger son comes to his father and he asks for a share of his inheritance. Now, this is an interesting about the story is the omissions. There's a lot of things that Jesus doesn't tell us out of the gate. There's a lot of things that he could have filled in the blanks, but yet he left them to our own imagination. We can assume that this father was wealthy, but we really don't know a whole lot outside of the fact that he had some money. We don't know where he lived. We don't know who his, life, his wife was. We don't know what his profession was. All of these things are left unknown. But what we do know is the important things. And this man had two sons. And I just imagine as a father that he delighted in his sons. What father doesn't take delight in his sons? A son that he can take hunting and fishing. A son that he can teach to fix things. A son that he can, he can begin to pour his life into and he can rear to chase after who God created that person to be. I, I, know, I remember when Charity was pregnant. I, I was going to be excited regardless if it was a boy or a girl. But I really prayed, Lord, 
send me a son. Because I, I feel so much more comfortable with a boy. I understand boys a lot better than girls. I mean, you can wrestle with boys and you can get them in headlocks and all the fun things, right? But a girl, I mean, tea parties and bows and things I don't know anything about. And so I pray, Lord, let it be a boy. And, and my pastor, before we were going to go to the ultrasound, he said, now remember this, it takes a man to make a man. And I looked at him, I said, you got three girls. And, and he said, I didn't say I knew how to make a man, I'm just telling you. And so I was overjoyed when I found out I was having a son. And I still delight in him because you watch him grow and you pour your life into it. And I'm just imagine that this father loved his son. But unfortunately, we see very quickly that the younger son doesn't return the love and the affection to his father. Because one day he goes to his father and he says, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. This young, arrogant son is asking for an inheritance that he would receive upon his father's death. And he's coming and he's saying, I want my inheritance early. He's basically looking at his father and he's saying, you're worth more to me dead than alive. And I want your stuff more than I want you. In fact, I want your stuff without you. Now, I don't know about you, but that would not go well at my house. How many parents here, if your, your son or daughter came and said, hey, I want my inheritance now, and you'd be like, I'm going to give you something, and it's not an inheritance, right? <laughs> we are going to lay some hands on, and we might pray later, but we are not giving you the inheritance. And yet something crazy happens. This father gives him the inheritance. This is so outside of the norm. This is so not what we would do. In fact, I remember watching on the news about a year ago, and there was this couple that was on the national news lamenting about how they had a 30-year-old son in their house, and they couldn't get him out. They had hired a lawyer to sue their son to move out. And I'm thinking, you don't understand what to do. All you have to do is grab his stuff and throw it outside and change the door locks. This is, that's a lot cheaper than a lawyer. So everything about this story seems unnatural. He wanted the property of the father without the father himself. He wanted the material advantages of the father without the relationship with the father. And this was obviously a serious insult to the father. This property wasn't the father's loose change. Property in that day was different than the property today. I have a house because I own the house because I make payments on the house. I purchased the house. But property during this day, during the this time that this father would have lived, was an inheritance based upon the promise of God to Abraham. You can go read about it in the Old Testament, how different tribes and different people groups were given property, and that property was to stay in the family. And if it was ever sold, it was to be returned every 50 years. So when the son goes to the father and asks for his share, He's not only insulting the father, he's also insulting the family, but most importantly, he's insulting the promises of God to his family. And then to make the matters even worse, after a couple days, it says that he gathered everything up and he went to a faraway place. So not only is he using his father's wealth, he also wants to get as far away from the father as possible. What kind of pain must have been in that father's heart? Now, we need to understand something. When Jesus is telling a parable or a story, we have to ask the question, how does this apply to me? Not how does it apply to my neighbor, but apply to me. 
Have you ever been sitting there, you've been watching some advice on TV, you've been listening to a preacher, and they're saying some good stuff, you're like, man, I wish my, I wish my mom and dad would hear that, or I wish my friend would hear that, or my sister, or my husband, or my wife. But that's not how we should interpret Scripture. When we read, we should ask, how does this apply to me? Who does humanity identify with in this parable? But more importantly, who do I identify with in this story? This story has purpose, it has life application. And we identify with someone in this story. Now, we know we don't identify with the Father. Therefore, the only conclusion we have left is that we identify with the Son. You and I are one of the two sons. Now, if we were honest with ourselves, there's a lot we can identify with. All of us at some point have insulted the Father God in heaven. We've brought offense to him, and we've sinned time and time again. We've maybe sinned out of ignorance to who he is. Maybe we've sinned out of anger for events that have happened in life, and we feel like God has shortchanged us. Maybe we have sinned out of just a sinful desire for self-gratification. Speaking to myself, I know that there's a lot of sins in my life that I'm ashamed of, that I wish I could go back and fix. I wish that I never committed sins that I've done that I hope my son does not repeat in his own life. Just as the son in the story leaves his father to go to a distant land, so too we have left God in our sins. All of us have tried to live by our own accord, doing what seems right in our own eyes. And if we were honest, we lived any way that we desired. We lived according to our passions and our pursuits. And many of those desires have left us in a place of sin. I said a moment ago that the son wanted the benefits and the blessing of the father without the father himself. And this is a perfect description of the hearts of humanity. We all want the goodness of God, and we all want the blessings that God has for his creation, but we don't want God himself. We want to live our way. How many of you like doing things your way? Come on. We're in church. Don't lie. Some of you are like, yeah, he's right. We're in church. <laughs> I want things my way. And it's just part of our nature. We don't want to do it their way. We want to do it our way. Now, if we don't want to do it at all, they can do it their way. But when we want to do something, we want it our way. And that's exactly what happened here. The son wanted it his way. We want it our way. The son insulted the father. We insult the father. The son left the father. We leave the father God. The son in the story, though, missed the most important part here. He misunderstood the father. We have to assume a little bit here, but I think it's a safe assumption. The son probably wanted the inheritance and he probably left because he felt like he was under the control of the father. He felt like the father was always controlling him and, and he wouldn't let him live any way he wanted. He just felt bound up and restricted by his father. How many of you remember when you got your driver's license the first time? Just the freedom you had. I'm going to do things the way I want now. Or when you're a little kid, right now my son, he's always thinking about the future. He's always, he's always talking about, well, here's what I'm going to do when I get married, and here's the house I'm going to have. And when I get a car, I can go drive around and go see my friends without asking you, right, mom and dad? I mean, those are the things that he's thinking about right now. And a lot of us thought the same way. When I get older, I can live any way I want. And how many of us made terrible decisions with our freedom? Yeah. Probably been a few rolled cars in our history, right? A few parking tickets. 
a few times that we ran into a, a police officer and we didn't want mom and dad finding out, right? Those are the things that happen with our freedom. And spiritually, the same thing happens with the Father. We don't understand who the Father God is. We see his commandments and his laws. We see his standard and all. We see our rules. We see limitations. And we see restrictions. What we should see is a relationship. God, as our creator, knows how we should live so that we can operate at full efficiency. So that we can operate without bumps in the road. So that we can operate and become who he created us to be. We miss what we need the most. We don't need freedom. We need relationship with the Father to have fullness. And this Father's house, this Son had everything, but all he could see were the restrictions. And so he sinned, he insulted his Father, and he went to a faraway land. And all of us have made the same decisions. We have sinned, we ran away from God, and we've lived our own way. Now, Jesus tells us that this Son went to a faraway land, and he lived recklessly, drinking, partying, prostitutes. He did all of it. All of it. The world will take everything from you and give you nothing in return. And what this young man realized very quickly is that he ran out of money. Why is that? Because when, you give something, when you're given something you haven't earned, you tend to squander it. I mean, you give $20 to your kids. The first thing they want to do is go to Walmart, right? How many? Come on. Now, be honest. When those stimulus checks came in the mail, you guys are like, yes. <laughs> Charity bought a jet ski. I told her it was completely irresponsible, but <laughs> that's what she did. You squander things you don't earn. And this young man spent all he had. A bad situation then turned worse because there was a famine in the land. And he ultimately hired himself out to a master, and he was so hungry that he wanted to eat the slop that the pigs were eating. The son had lost everything along the way. He thought he could figure it out, but instead he ended up in a lost situation. He thought he could figure it out, but he was incapable of doing that. I hate to admit this, but I get lost easy, because I have no sense of direction. I feel like God has blessed me in a lot of areas. Sense of direction was not one of them. And that's very frustrating to me because I feel like I can always figure things out. It's not a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians, but I think it should be there. Figure things out. Because God has given me the ability to look at things, and given time, I'll figure it out, except when I'm lost. I mean, every time, charity, thank God for GPS, because, I mean, we got lost on our honeymoon. We got lost going to the grocery store. I mean, it was, t you remember MapQuest when you had to print out the maps, and we're holding maps and throwing papers and yelling, and people are honking, and it's terrible to be lost. It's frustrating, because I think that I can figure it out, but I can't. Now, I think that's exactly how this son had approached life. He thought he could figure it out on his own. But in the process, he got lost emotionally. He got lost morally, and he got lost spiritually. And the end result is he ended up in a pig pen of life because of his recklessness. And when we live recklessly... We cannot figure it out on our own, and we always end up in a pig pen of life. We'll pride ourselves, deceiving ourselves, thinking that we're going to figure it out. But let me tell you what, every single one of us can end up like the sun. The sun started out with everything, but he chose to make himself fatherless 
And then he chose in the process to make himself homeless. And then in the process, he ended up penniless, friendless, and foodless. That's what happens. And if this teaches us anything, it teaches that when we live for ourselves, we end up by ourselves. So many people, and every one of us on this stage would tell you that we were there too. That when you live the way you want, you will always end up in pain and turmoil. And there will always be dissatisfaction. We're searching for our identity and our purpose. We're always left empty. And the reason why we're empty is because we wanted to figure it out. But we end up in the pit. Now the, the plot thickens. Because Jesus then said, one day the son came to himself. Or he came to his senses. The son had a realization. This is ridiculous. Why am I eating in a pig pen when my father back home treats his servants better than this? He realized that his father treated his servants way better than the master was treating him. So why is he sitting in the mud and the muck when he could go home and he could work for his father? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And this son realized the insanity of his heart. Now, here's the key. There's spiritual implication when he said he came to himself. It insinuates repentance. Jesus told us that no one can come to the Father unless he drew And in this moment, the Holy Spirit illuminates this young man's heart. And he has a realization that something has to change inside of himself. There is always a point where the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts. We will look at our situation and we will say, this is ridiculous. Something has to change. And I'm sure if we went around the room this morning and we were all honest, all of us have been to a point in life where we were sitting there in the middle of the pig pen and we say, why did I let myself get here? This is stupid. This is ridiculous. Something has to change. When you have those thoughts, it's the Holy Spirit illuminating your heart to your reality. Some of you this morning, if you were honest, you say, my marriage is getting ridiculous. The situation with my kids is getting ridiculous. The situation with my finances is getting ridiculous. The situation with how I feel on the inside is getting ridiculous. We're having those self-aware moments where we're coming to ourselves and we realize that something has to change. And what the Holy Spirit is trying to do is get you to understand that you can turn and you can go back to your Father. A, that's the moment when the tender love of God is trying to get our attention. And he's saying, you can come back home. At this point, just like the wayward son, we have a decision to make. We can stay in the pig pen of life, or we can go back to the father and see what he has for us. The word son to himself in this moment is very powerful. Verses 17 through, 19, through 20 says this, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants? have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger. I will arise and go to the Father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to the Father. Interesting question. Who's the son talking to in this moment? Is he talking to the pigs? No, he's talking to himself. 
And he just got real with himself. He's confessing his sin to God and to himself in this moment. Notice the resolution. The son was motivated by hunger, but he wanted to go back to the father. Because he knew his father was the one with the answers to his problem. He didn't want to try another master. He realized he couldn't figure it out. The father was who he needed to go to. In this moment, he has true confession. He confessed his sin against heaven and against his father. He knew where his guilt lay. He sinned against the standards that God has set for his life, and he sinned against his father who had given him everything. There were no excuses. He didn't try to qualify anything. He just simply confessed and repented. Listen carefully. You might be in this place today, and you're tired of being in the pig pen of life. The only way that you're going to get out of this pig pen is through true confession and true repentance. The Father God is the only source of hope. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and He is the one that gives us life. And only when you get real with yourself and you get real with God can true change start to happen in your life. You can't have any excuses. You can't negotiate the terms. You simply have to come before God and say, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. And I've sinned against all these people in my life. The problem for a lot of our confessions is that we're sorry for the consequences, but we're not sorry for the sins of ourselves. And the problem is that so many people end up in the pig pen and they're trying to blame their surroundings on other people. None of that's going to help. The son could have said, well, if my father had been more tender, the son could have said, well, if the master would be nicer, the son could have said, if the people hadn't taken my money, he could have tried to make a lot of excuses, but the son realized My decisions have led me here. And until I start making different decisions, until I confess and repent, that I'm going to end up and I'm going to stay right here. Only true confession and repentance changes something inside of our hearts. So the son started back to the father. Now he had a long journey because the Bible says that he went to a faraway land. When you're walking, miles can take days weeks, months. We don't know how long the journey was. But I just imagine as he was taking that journey that he rehearsed the speech in his mind over and over and over again. Probably a lot of us can identify with that. We've had to have tough conversations and we lay in bed at night awake rehearsing that speech in our mind over and over and over again. When I get home, here's what I'm going to have to say to my father. The son left everything behind. When he started back to the father, he didn't try to take the party life with him. He turned his life around and he started going back to the father and he went back with no hope of being a son. He went empty handed. He left his sin behind. He left everything behind. If we're going to return to the father, we can't take the old life with us. We can't try to take the pigs and the slop with us back to the Father. It all has to stay back there. Now, here's where the story gets good. So as the son returns, the father sees him coming, and something crazy happens. While he's still a long ways off, the father takes off running. And he starts running towards his son. He has compassion on his son, the scripture says, and he embraces and he starts to kiss his son. 
His son who days, weeks, months before would be covered in pig manure and dirt and tattered up clothes. When he left with all of his money, it was different. But now he's broke and poor and he has nothing. And the father embraces him and the son starts his speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your sons. And the father doesn't even let him finish the speech. He cuts him off and he calls the servants. He says, get my son fresh clothes and put a ring on his finger. Here is my son. Get some steaks because tonight we are partying. You see the excellent qualities of the father in the midst of this story. And God paints this picture because he wants us to see who God is to us. You see, the son had the wrong perspective of the father. The whole time he was growing up in his house, he thought he was controlling. He thought he was manipulative. He thought he was just restricting. But here he got a real picture of who his father was. And let me tell you something. You might have a, a, a concept of who you think God is. But until you come to God dirty and broken and covered in your own mess, you're never going to experience who God truly is until you experience his grace and his mercy in that moment. See how great the Father is. Our God is so good, he turns no one away. The Father in the story defines, defies all human experience. I mean, let's be honest. If our kids had done that to us and they came back, the least that we're going to do is give them a tongue lashing. Took all my stuff and spent it. Boy, you can come live with me, but you, I'm going, you're going to get it. I mean, let's be honest, that'd be natural, wouldn't it? Especially after the pain and the suffering that he invoked on the Father. That's what I would do, but that's not what the Father does. As I said, the, the Father doesn't even let the Son finish the speech. And this shows us something so powerful. The Son doesn't even get to finish the speech that he'd been rehearsing. And what this shows us is, is that the Son was going to try, and he was going to try to earn the right to live in the Father's house as a servant. But that wasn't going to work. You and I cannot earn the right to get back into the Father's house. There's nothing we can do, but there's nothing that God's asking us to do. The son could never pay the father back all the pain and the turmoil that he had caused him. But the father wasn't requiring him to. He forgave him completely because he wanted the son in his presence. He is tender and he's compassionate and joyful. And let me tell you something, God wants you in his presence. You don't have to earn salvation. You cannot earn salvation. God pours out his grace and his mercy on us, and he puts sonship on us. We become the sons and the daughters of God. The father in this story declared to his servants, my son was dead, but now is alive. He was lost, but now is found. The son was experiencing a slow death away from the father. He was destitute, and now he's experienced the fullness of life. Life apart from God is a slow death. But when you run back to the father, you experience all that life has for you and for me. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. Now, let's go back to the beginning of the story for just a second. The son goes to the father, and he says to him, I want my share of the inheritance. Now, the son was the younger son. If you know anything about the distribution of inheritance in this day, the eldest son got twice the portion of everyone else. So the son got a third 
of the father's property. The financial package that the father had given the son was gone forever. A third of the father's estate was now gone. Now, I want you just to think about that for a second. I want you to think about your net worth. You sold everything you had and you had it in a big pile of cash. How much money would you have? And then imagine now your son just squandered a third of that. If you're like me, you probably have a lot of debt. <laughs> you know, like, man, that'd be awesome if I get away a third of this debt. That'd be great. But for this father, he's very wealthy. A third of his stuff is gone. So when the son returned, I want you to catch this. For the father to welcome him back into the family, it was going to cost him financially again. So this wasn't just a nice, generous, you know, oh yeah, come back and live with us. No. When he welcomed him back as a son, it was going to cost him more of his estate. It cost him the initial estate to welcome his son back. It cost him the pain and the turmoil to see his son go. It cost him the new and expensive meals. And it cost him the new share in the state that the son was going to get. Yet, for the father, the price was worth it because he had his son back. And let me tell you this morning, there's a great price associated with the redemptions of our souls. See, the Bible tells us that every single one of us sin and the wages, the punishment of that sin is death. God is holy. He's righteous. He's just. The Father doesn't allow things to be scrupulous. It has to be right. And so sin is terrible and causes atrocities in the world. And sin must be punished and dealt with. For the Father to welcome you or I back in, He paid a high price. And that price was the death of His Son, Jesus, on the cross. That was the price that Jesus was willing to pay for you and for me. When He was crucified on that cross for our sins, when he rose again for new life for us. So you might ask today, what's my value to God? The answer is everything. Because he gave his son for you and for me. So the question is, is not, is the God want you back? The question is not, can God make a way for you to be restored? The question is, are you willing to come to him in humility and repent? We come to the Father through faith. Faith enough to confess Jesus as Lord. Faith enough to turn away from our old life. Faith enough to say, Jesus, you're alive, and so now I'm going to live for you as a son or a daughter. Today, we need to make that choice. If you would, please stand with me and close your eyes with me today. Your head bowed. I just want to talk to you for just a second. Lots of things you know that could be happening but I want you just to zone in just between you and God just for a moment we have a choice today to make and as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed I want you to examine your own heart used to be an old radio segment Paul Harvey show and it says now the rest of the story and this parable starts out with a father who has two sons so who's the other son Luke 15, starting verse 25, it says, Now when the older son came, was in the field and he came near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and the father has killed the fat calf because he was 
received him back safe and sound. But he, speaking of the son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate my friends. Now this son of yours has come, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fat calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that, I, that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The son, there was another son in the father's house. And this story is really about two sons. And both sons could be you or me today. One son ended up in the pig pen and he returned to his father. The other son was still living at home, but he was in a pig pen too. Because when you read about him, he's not happy either. He says, I've never disobeyed you. I've always done what you've asked me to. And now here you are. You're not even going to give me a young goat. He's bitter. He's angry at his father. The difference is, is that one son allowed himself to experience the goodness and grace of God. The other son never went into the house. Today, there's some of us that it feels like life has led us to the pig pit. And the question is simply, are you going to return to the Father? Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you're like the second son. You've been in church for years, trying to obey God, trying to do everything to make Him happy, and yet you don't feel that relationship with Him. There's a disconnect. Let me tell you, you can step into the house. There's others of you that have been far away from God, and now the weight is starting to come down around you. And you're wondering, will God take me in? And the answer is yes. But you have to turn to him.